You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Today's case takes us to the small New Mexico town of El Rancho. Home to just 1,500 people, it's a close-knit community, full of honest and hard-working families, where everyone knows everyone. In 2011, it was home to the well-respected and loved Ortiz family. Mom Dixie, Dad Lloyd, their daughters Sherry and Angela, and their son Stephen. Lloyd and Dixie had been married for 34 years, and were described as pillars of the community. Angela said that Dixie and Lloyd were the best parents in so many ways. They never judged, always accepted people for who they were, worked harder than anyone she knew, and supported everyone else as well. Lloyd was a tile contractor. He was usually up before the sun rose, and didn't often stop working until after nine at night. Dixie worked in a nursing home, something she didn't see or describe as work. She just genuinely loved helping people. In 1989, when Angela and Sherry were teenagers, Dixie and Lloyd met seven-month-old Stephen and instantly fell in love with him. They soon adopted him, and his sisters said their family felt so perfect and complete. Stephen had cerebral palsy, and his left side was paralysed. The family were told that it was a tough road ahead, He may never be able to walk or talk, and would need assistance with a lot of things in life. Through immense hard work, both physically and mentally, lots of love and encouragement, Stephen overcame everything, doctors said he never would. He was soon walking and talking, as well as reaching huge developmental milestones. The family would attend church, and Stephen was always the star of the show. His pastor said he would walk in and greet every single person there, He was a joy to be around, and everyone adored him. Two-thirds of the Ortiz family home was occupied by Dixie, Lloyd and Stephen, and Sherry and her husband Jesse and their two children lived in the other part of the home, which was separated by a fence. For the family that had always been so close, this was the perfect living arrangement. June 18th, 2011 Sherry and Jessie spent some time at the casino before coming home and watching a film. Sometime in the early hours of the morning, Sherry and Jessie heard a noise outside, and the dog started barking. Jessie got up, grabbed his gun, and looked outside. He saw a grey car driving away, and heard someone shouting, Hurry up, let's go. He got in his truck and followed the car for a while, before losing it. He then drove back home, and the family went to sleep thinking, although it was odd, it was likely just teenagers messing around. Several hours later, June 19th, Father's Day. Sherry had made some enchiladas for her dad for Father's Day. She walked over to the house and let herself in. Where's your emergency? 
Okay, tell me exactly what happened. <laughs> When investigators arrived on scene, they discovered Dixie in the master bedroom in her pyjamas with trauma to her head. Lloyd was found in the backyard and had sustained seven injuries to his head and torso. 21-year-old Stephen was dead on the kitchen floor. It was clear that he had tried hard to fight off his killer, but he was struck 17 times in total and succumbed to his injuries. And I walked in and I was like, Mom! And then I walked over to her to shake her and her head was blown. And so I ran to the kitchen to check for my brother and my dad and I thought it was my dad laying on the floor in his underwear because his face was so blown off. And so I ran home screaming, screaming for my husband. And my husband went back and he said, Honey, that's Stephen in the kitchen. Your dad's dead in the backyard. I started to run toward her. And that's when I saw a hole in her, close to her temple, and dried blood down her face. The ferocity and level of rage that the perpetrator had was shocking to everyone there. One officer said it was the worst crime scene he had ever been called to. Everyone in the community was frightened and shaken. Things like this just didn't happen, and the fact that a family like the Ortizes had been subjected to this left everyone fearing that their families could be next. Police are now releasing the names of the three people found dead in the small New Mexico village of El Rancho. A relative found the three people shot to death late last night in the family home. News 13's Dave Romero is live from state police headquarters in Santa Fe with the very latest. David. Deanna, state police say they're still trying to piece together if this was a homicide or a murder-suicide. Now, the three victims are 55-year-old Lloyd Ortiz, his wife, 53-year-old Dixie Ortiz, and their son, 21-year-old Stephen Ortiz. All three were found dead in the home behind the one you see on the screen right now. This is off of Coral Street in El Rancho, which is five miles west of Pahuaque. State police have been on the scene since the 911 call came in last night around 7 p.m. At this point, state police can only say that the victims died of gunshot wounds, but can't confirm if there was forced entry into the home or how many times the victims were shot. It's now a matter of interviewing other family members and neighbors in the area. We're still unsure as to what happened out there. The guys are still working it, uh, working very hard to determine what exactly happened, but at this point we still don't know. And Sergeant Johnson said he expects that investigators will stay out there for at least a number of hours longer. Deanna, back to you. Lloyd's wallet was on the kitchen counter next to Stephen's body but it was still full of money. So initially, it seemed that robbery was not a motive. There was no DNA of an outsider inside the family home, and police knew they were up against it unless they could find the murder weapon. At the back of the property, behind a locked fence, were several marijuana plants. Angela and Sherry explained that their parents had a medical marijuana card for Stephen, as well as a licence to grow it for him. After two brain surgeries, Stephen had been prescribed it to ease his constant and very debilitating headaches. Authorities wondered if the wrong person had found the plants and broken in to try and steal them, rather than the money or valuables inside. But it soon came to light that Lloyd and Dixie had a secret safe 
hidden at the back of their closet, a safe so secret even their children didn't know about it, and this presented more motive still. First it was suspicious, but now state police say the family found dead in their El Rancho home was murdered. They are releasing many other details beyond that, and that has neighbors living in fear. News 13's Amanda Goodman is live in the Newsplex with more. Well, Jessica, all of the people I spoke with say they can't understand why this family would have been killed. That, coupled with the fact that a killer is still out there, has everyone concerned. A triple homicide obviously, you know, rocks the community. And this has rocked them to the point of silence. Neighbors here are so freaked out they didn't want to go on camera or even be identified for fear of what could happen to them. A lot of their fear stems from the fact that none of them can understand why this family would be murdered. By all accounts, the Ortizes were good neighbors and good people. I can't speak on the specifics, um, you know, who to look out for. Uh, as far as I know, we haven't identified any suspects yet. The autopsy results soon came in. The wounds were so deep that everyone initially thought it was a gun at point-blank range, but the results later revealed that the family had been killed with a pickaxe. Sherry said when she and her husband had heard someone outside that early morning, Jesse had jumped into his truck and started following the car. But Jesse's first story contradicted this, and he told officers he only went and stood outside. He didn't follow anyone. He then changed his story and said he might have missed that part out. Officers definitely found this odd, as it was a pretty big thing to forget, and they wondered if Jesse had more to tell them. Jesse admitted that he and Lloyd had argued on occasion, but he said it was all over stupid and petty things, and they were forgotten as soon as they happened. Authorities couldn't rule anything out, though. No matter how small something seemed, there could always be more to it. New this morning, the first images of a family murdered in a small community north of Santa Fe. This is the Ortiz family. Lloyd Ortiz, his wife Dixie, and their adult son Stephen were found dead in their El Rancho home over a week ago. The Office of the Medical Examiner says all three died from blunt force trauma to the head. Investigators have still not named a suspect or a motive in this case. Lloyd Ortiz owned his own tile company, and his wife Dixie was an activities director here at this Los Alamos nursing home. Her coworkers say she had such a big heart and was a fierce advocate for the elderly. And she brought that joy every day, every day. She will be so sadly missed. They searched Jesse and Sherry's part of the home. Nothing came back forensically and the CCTV from the casino also lined up. With this, police were officially able to rule out Jesse and Sherry as playing any part in the deaths. Hoping the killer had just dumped the pickaxe somewhere near the home, authorities were looking everywhere for the murder weapon. And remarkably, they found it, just a short distance away in a field near the Ortiz family home. It weighed five pounds and was still covered in blood. Praying this would be an open and shut case very soon, they sent it off for testing. But sadly, the only DNA that came back was from Lloyd, Dixie and Stephen. There was nothing else on it. We're uncertain uh, what we have, um, and until we get a break, um, we're we're not going to know. Angela told the police that there was one person they might want to talk to, a 16-year-old called Nicholas Ortiz. There was no relation between him and the Ortiz family, 
but he was close with Sherry's son, and the pair would hang out at school. He went to the same church as the family, and his pastor said he was helpful, always staying late to tidy up, and friendly. After frequent bouts of difficulty, volatility and fighting at home, Sherry offered a room to him, hoping it would help and give him some stability. Nicholas would also spend time at Lloyd and Dixie's and they treated him well, often driving him around whenever he needed a lift and cooking him dinner. But this all changed when Sherry and Jesse noticed money was going missing before walking in on Nicholas going through their things. Instead of asking him to leave, they saw it as a cry for help and decided to give him money for the contributions he was making around the home, hoping this would stop the stealing. But Nicholas's attitude got worse, and his behaviour was making Lloyd and Dixie more and more uncomfortable. After finding him hiding in the garden after jumping over the fence, eventually Lloyd told him to leave the family alone and go back to his parents' house. Nicholas was found and questioned. Do you know anything about this case that could help us? The only thing I've heard was what people have told me from the news. Lloyd just told you. What what exactly did he say? You remember? Yeah. Telling me that effed up my trust trust with them, not to go near them anymore. Anything. Said okay, Mark. So what do you guys want to be? That was really the last time we spoke. Do you think if you found out who did that? If I found out who did it, I would call the police right. He appeared honest and open about everything including the tension between them all when he was asked to leave the house. As well as this, he said he was at home that night. He woke up his dad to wish him a happy Father's Day just after midnight and saw his mum off to work at 7am. This was corroborated by the family and the police continued their searches. Time was slipping away fast. It's really hard when this holiday comes around because, you know, it just it brings back that memory of when I got that phone call. You know, and it's the last thing that anybody ever wants to hear. And before long, it was almost Christmas 2012. The Ortiz family murders was among the state's most disturbing unsolved cases and police were worrying that with no DNA evidence, it might remain a cold case forever. But one call would finally come in that changed everything. A woman currently serving time in prison told police she had information on what had happened to Lloyd, Dixie and Stephen. She told law enforcement that there was a reason for the lack of evidence. She actually knew the attacker and he had been wearing socks over his hands at the time of the assault. This caller was 24-year-old Ashley Roy Bell. She had a string of convictions, including burglary and drugs-related charges. She claimed that on the night of the murders, she was smoking weed with her cousin Jose, who was 15 at the time, and his friend, none other than Nicholas Ortiz. Jose and Nicholas decided they needed more money, so they hatched a plan to steal from the Ortiz family. Nicholas was somehow aware of the safe in the family home and was out to steal $20,000 from it. As well as this, 
He said he wanted to steal the plants too. Ashley drove them to a road near the Ortiz family residence at around 3am. She then drove home. Ashley said she was in a grey car, a car similar to the one Jesse said he had seen driving that early morning. 45 minutes later, at 3.45, she got a call from Jose. He said he had panicked last minute and couldn't go through with it. He could hear dogs barking and some families were still awake, and although Nicholas had tried to convince him, he refused. He watched as Nicholas walked up to the back door and knocked. Jose said he realised the gravity of the situation and ran and hid behind the house. After this, Nicholas called Ashley, telling her she needed to pick him up from outside the Ortiz's house. As soon as the pair got in the car, it was obvious that something horrific had happened. He had blood on his trousers, a sock on his right hand, and a bin bag tied around his right leg. He was in a panic, saying over and over, I messed up, I killed them. Ashley said she drove him to her grandparents' house so he could take a shower. His bloody clothes were put in a bag and disposed of, and he was given new clothes to walk home in. The next day, Nicholas called Ashley, saying he killed the family with a pickaxe before discarding of it outside the house. But officers did have questions. Not only did Nicholas appear to have an alibi, the car in question had been sold on and later crushed at a scrapyard. 18 months had now passed since Father's Day 2011, and the vehicle was long gone. The murderer is still a mystery, exactly two years after a family was killed at their El Rancho home. Action 7 News reporter Alana Grimstad has continuing coverage on whether police have any clue as to who killed three people in northern New Mexico. It's been two years, but I still live with this every I miss them every second of my life. It is the most important case in the state police books right now. Still an active, ongoing, but unsolved homicide investigation. A lot of times cases do not solve themselves within a day, and unfortunately this is a case that's requiring a lot more resources and some time. I thought that this would be solved by now. But as time goes by, family members of the victims are starting to lose faith in the police investigation. And they can't shake the fear that the killer is still out there. I want whoever did this to be behind bars immediately. That's the only thing I hope. Every single day, I hope that. State police say they continue following many leads but won't comment on any specifics or say if they have any suspects in mind. Investigators say they are bringing in outside agencies to help but won't say who or how. They started looking into the only thing that had lasted over the years. Phone records. Records showed a lot of communication going back and forth between the three of them that night, in June 2011. They called in Nicholas again and asked him about the text messages. He quickly asked to stop the interview. Well, um, with all, all due respect to you guys and all that, I'd really like to just stop talking and go home. Over the next few months, they continued building their case. And three years after the killings, in 2014, officers turned their attention to Jose to get his side of the story. He told them the same story as Ashley. Ashley dropped me and Nick off to go the house. She left. Nick told me he would go in. He wanted me to go in with him to go kill him. And I told him no. I knew he had did it. He told me he did it. 
Eric Zubia, another one of Nicholas's friends, became the third person to tell the officers the same thing. He said Nicholas had said he had killed people, but would not specify who. It was only when he heard about the Ortiz family, he thought he had connected the dots. He went straight to the police two days later, but the full story was still unknown, and although this was logged, it still took a long time to obtain an arrest warrant. But that day finally came, on February 12th, 2015. The community was shocked and scared when the bodies of a couple and their son were found in their home, murdered with a pickaxe. They were worried the case was going cold, but today police say they've made an arrest. And now there's questions about why a teen would want an entire family dead. People I spoke with at a basketball game here at Pewaukee Valley High School tonight feel a mix of relief and shock that a member of their own community is now in custody. Today, they announced they've arrested 20-year-old Nick Ortiz for the triple murder. News 13 has learned although he shares the same last name, he is not related to the family. State police have released few details as to how he knew them or a possible motive. For the small community, it's the news they've waited for for nearly four years. But it was met with mixed emotion. I went to school with him. I think people are more shocked than they are relieved. Nicholas Ortiz was placed under arrest with five charges against him. When he was read out the charges, he said, I don't agree with two of them. The detective recalled it was very telling that the only two he didn't agree with had nothing to do with murder. And he said this was as close to a confession as he could get. Sherry, Jesse and Angela were in a state of shock. The teenager they had taken in as their own, fed, given money to and a bed to sleep in, had turned on them all in such an unimaginable way. He was initially denied bail, but this was changed to $100,000, which was made, and he was let out. Murder in northern New Mexico is now out on bond. Nicholas Ortiz. In June 2015, his trial began. Today, the accused killer's attorney zeroed in on the couple's daughter. News 13's Marissa Lucero is in Santa Fe with the story. Marissa. Yeah, Kim, the defense spent a good portion of the day questioning the Ortiz's daughter, Cherie Ortiz Rios. Now, they questioned her about her relationship with her mom, dad, and brother, but she insisted there was no turmoil or bad, bad blood within the family. Oh, they were amazing. Amazing. Um, no, go ahead, I don't mean to cut you off. We had a, we had a big family um, camping trip planned for July 4th, well, uh, leading up to July 4th. We had like a nine-day camping trip planned. We were so excited about it. Now, prosecutors also called Cherie's husband, Jesse Rios, onto the stand to recall the days leading up to the murder and the night he found his in-laws murdered. Uh, the defense is now questioning Jesse Rios, and this trial's expected to last into next week. Back to you. Okay, thanks. Both Ashley and Jose were set to testify against him in exchange for plea deals. Ashley pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit aggravated burglary and tampering with evidence and was given 20 years in prison with six years of her sentence suspended. So she will remain in prison for 14 years unless she gets parole any earlier. Jose was given full immunity and was never charged with any crimes. Although he was a minor at the time of the murders, given how disturbing the crime scene was, the district attorney fought for him to be tried as an adult, 
which allowed for them to push for a higher sentence if he was found guilty. To everyone's surprise, in the middle of the proceedings, Jose changed his testimony. He said that Ashley was the ringleader and she had instructed both him and Nicholas to rob the home and kill the family. He said she gave them socks to cover up their hands and plastic bags for their feet and gave Nicholas the pickaxe. Nicholas didn't take the stand the entire trial, leaving Ashley and Jose with opposite statements fighting against each other. After three days of deliberations, the jury was stuck. They hadn't reached a verdict on any counts and they simply couldn't agree. A mistrial was declared. Everyone thought that the case was as strong as it could possibly be but it meant that a new trial would have to take place, leaving the family to go through it all again. The case went back to trial 17 months later, and this time, there was a very different result. Nicholas Ortiz was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, one count of aggravated burglary with a deadly weapon, and one count of conspiracy to commit aggravated burglary with a deadly weapon. Sherry started a petition, begging the judge to give Nicholas three consecutive life sentences. It was not the sentence prosecutors or the victim's family was hoping for, but Nicholas Ortiz will be going to prison for 25 years. And finally, this case is over. News 13's Rebecca Atkins has more on what the district attorney has to say about the sentence. Rebecca? Well, Kim, the victim's family's surviving daughter wanted her family's killer to be sentenced as an adult with no possibility of parole. And prosecutors were asking he be put away for nearly three quarters of a century. But a judge didn't seem to agree with that sentence. So Nicholas Ortiz got three 25-year sentences, one for each murder. The judge, instead of stacking them one on top of each other, he's running them all at the same time. He's running them concurrently. He got credit for time served since his first arrest and was required to serve 85% of his sentence. Nicholas filed an appeal, but it was denied. It's possible he could be out of prison in his early 40s, being able to apply for parole in late 2036 or early 2037. Angela said it was hard to feel like any closure had been gained and any justice had been served. His debt will never be paid. It doesn't matter how much time he has. It's never going to be paid because I can't get my family back. I honestly don't feel like he got enough time. Um, He took three lives. Three. And they're far more worth 25 years. To be completely blunt, I truly feel for his family. I, I really do. They had no part in this. The district attorney said while he was disappointed... He was happy that it had been categorised as a serious violent offence. The community of El Rancho and the family and friends of Lloyd, Dixie and Stephen will forever be affected by what happened back in June 2011. Sherry and Angela waited more than eight years to get justice for them, but they are still left feeling that that justice simply didn't happen. Hard-working, giving and doing everything they could for everyone they met The deaths of Lloyd, Dixie and Stephen Ortiz was and will always be a huge loss to the community and everyone that knew them. It is only right that they be remembered for the joy and happiness they brought to so many people and not by the tragic way that they left this earth.